You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in today's lecture, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11. But before we do, I want you to to focus in on a a synopsis of the entire teaching of the book of Jeremiah, which, uh, if you will, is just kind of uh, summarizing everything that Isaiah himself says. But you can see this in Jeremiah chapter 23. When we are told, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, Yahweh our righteousness. Now, yes, I know, I know, we're studying the book of Isaiah, and here I am talking about the book of Jeremiah. But it's important for us to understand that the whole summary of this Messiah is that he will be born of the house of David. He will be truly man. At the same time, he is truly God, begotten of the Father from all eternity. So thus, Jeremiah summarizes this whole mystery of the Incarnation, So that Yahweh declares, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. And at the same time, he is to be called Yahweh our righteousness. So again, he is truly man and truly God at the same time. Now, when we take this passage from Jeremiah, and we keep this in mind as we look at Isaiah, We've been tracking through Isaiah up to this point now about the promise of this king being raised up, the one who is to be called Yahweh, our righteousness. Now, again, if you recall with me in Isaiah chapter 4, we are told that in that day, the branch of Yahweh shall be beautiful and glorious. And then later on in chapter 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. And then later on in Isaiah chapter 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So we've been tracking through the book of Isaiah about this promised coming king, the one who ushers in the kingdom of God into eternity. And now here we are at chapter 11 of Isaiah where we continue to unpack this promise of the king, 
the one who comes from the house of David. But in particular, we kind of, we kind of go backwards, if you will, because remember, Isaiah is speaking at the time of King Ahaz in chapter 7. And Ahaz is a son of David, but <laughs> really not the kind of son of David that we're looking for. One who is not bringing justice and righteousness. But we know from the sacred scripture that Yahweh has made a promise to David that one of his own sons will reign on his throne, like Psalm 132 says. Yahweh swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. So the son of David that we're waiting for will not be like the sons that we've seen before, like Ahaz. So instead, we kind of, we go back to Jesse. It's almost a, a restart, a new David. Not just David, but one who is even more than David. And so in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, you have this promise. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So again, notice how we're going back before David, all the way to the stump of Jesse, Jesse being the father of David. And so you'll have a new David that we're looking for. Now, when we look at the monarchy in Israel, we actually have to trace this before David when you go back to Saul. Now, remember, Saul was kind of a bad apple. Samuel had anointed Saul as king, but yet Saul, the first king, refused to listen to the voice of God. Instead, he chose to do what he thought was right in his own sight from the imagination of his own heart. And so he forsook the word of the Lord, and therefore the Lord forsook him. And he was rejected then as king, and in his place, David was anointed as king. Now remember uh, Samuel, the whole, uh, the whole entire debate about wanting a king like the pagans, and Samuel the prophet, who was the leader of the people at that time, was very dismayed. But God assured Samuel that it's not a rejection of Samuel, but instead it's actually a rejection of Yahweh, who is the king the king of kings. And so Yahweh says he'll give the people what they want, and he gives them Saul. But then he forsakes Saul when Saul forsakes the word of God. And then in his place, David is brought up from the house of Jesse. And so when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, you have Yahweh speaking to the prophet Samuel, and speaking to Samuel saying, how long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And so when you go back to this, uh, this whole monarchy and the history of how it developed, you had Saul first, who was rejected, and then you had David, who was the king after God's own heart. And so this points towards the mystery of the incarnation, that you, you have these sons of David who really don't fit the bill, who are bad apples in a way like Saul, 
who do not listen to the voice of Yahweh. But you're waiting for one who will, one who is like David. In fact, one who is the new David. And so that's why here in this text, we kind of go back prior to David. We go back to the stump. We go back to Jesse. So now in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have the account of how David was the anointed one who was anointed by Yahweh through the instrumental means of of Samuel, the prophet. And so if you look back at the text, it says, Samuel then speaks to Jesse and asks the question, are all of your sons here? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And Yahweh said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So now again, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And notice that when David is anointed as king, the spirit of Yahweh rushes upon him. Now this is vitally important as we look at Isaiah chapter 11 and we further unpack this promise of the son of David, the new David, the one who is anointed. That is, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and the spirit of Yahweh is upon him. Of course, later on in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have the account where Yahweh gives the oath, this promise to David that we already referenced to in Psalm 132. You see, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Yahweh speaks through the mouth of the prophet Nathan and says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, this is from Second Samuel chapter 7. And again, what we're talking about here is not an earthly physical kingdom, something that is temporary that will come to an end, but instead something far greater, a spiritual kingdom that will be eternal. And so this is the kingdom that we are waiting for, not for any kind of an earthly reign of Christ here in this fallen world, but instead a reign of Christ in the new heavens and new earth that begins now in this time through the preaching of his word. So again, we go back to the passage in Isaiah 9, where we are told that this child is born and this son is given, given to us, to all humanity, to the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we know that he is God of God, true God of true God, and begotten, not made. And at the same time, he also is a child born of the virgin. 
And so he will sit on the throne of David, proclaiming his humanity. So the increase of his kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So the Messiah would be from the line of Jesse. He would be truly human. He would bring the eternal kingdom of God. And so in this passage in Isaiah 11, we have the language of a stump of Jesse. Now, this is an important imagery that we we need to investigate. This idea of a stump has the, the connotation of a tree that has been chopped down, a tree that has been cut off. Because in the days of of Isaiah, you have the threat of the Assyrians on the horizon, and then you have the threat of the coming Babylonians. And when the Babylonians come, they will overthrow the throne of David. And the Davidic kingdom will be no more in all outward appearance. It will appear to be dead. And so the tree is cut down. The kingdom no longer flourishes. So all that's left is a stump. And so it's not that we just need another David, but we need a new David. We need the true David. And so this image is that out of this stump that appears to be dead and the whole promise seems to be left unfilled, a shoot shall come forth from this stump. And the text goes on to say, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, in particular, when we look at this word branch in the Hebrew, uh, it's an interesting word because the word is actually netzer. It is the same Hebrew root word that is used for Nazareth. So in the Hebrew mind, they like to take uh, words and words that are similar and give these names to people because there's a similarity in what is taking place here. Well, we're looking for the promise of this Nazar from the roots of Jesse, he shall bear fruit. And so in the New Testament, when the evangelist Matthew writes about Jesus after his birth, living in Nazareth, Matthew will say that he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, that's in Matthew chapter 2. Later on, the evangelist Mark does the same thing in chapter 14, in which you have this account of Jesus at the trial, and somebody sees Peter, and Peter is there warming himself, and this, this gal looks at him and says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. And then later on in Acts 24, when Paul is a follower of this Jesus, the promised Nazar, you have this, this whole account that's given, and it says that the people cry out and say, For we have found this man a plague, that being Paul, of course, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. This is in Acts chapter 4. You see, Jesus is called the Nazarene. He is the branch, the Nazar from the root of Jesse. And so he is from Nazareth, he is a Nazarene, and those who follow him are Nazarenes in the plural that they are of this branch that bears fruit. And so the fruit, of course, are all of his followers. 
Now, again, in this passage in Isaiah, you have this this new start, this new David, because you go back to the stump where the tree is cut down and you have the shoot coming out. You have new life. You go back to the idea of this root of Jesse is this Natser, this Nazarene, the one who comes out to bear fruit. And so this is the new David, the the one who is starting things over, not just another king like David, not merely just one of the many sons of David, but instead the real David. For David is from the root of Jesse. Jesus is from the root of Jesse. The Messiah is the anointed one. As David was anointed, well, the Messiah is anointed. Where David has the Holy Spirit coming upon him, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus has the Holy Spirit coming upon him according to his human nature. So David, who is of Jesse, initially shows forth to us the reality of the David to come. He points towards the mystery of the Incarnation. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet even calls Jesus David. You see this in Ezekiel chapter 34. Here the Father says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, Yahweh, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them, and I am Yahweh, I have spoken. You see this later on in Ezekiel chapter 37, again, where the father speaks and says, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall walk in my rules and be careful to listen to my statutes. So in passages like this, the prophets of old are revealing to us the mystery of the incarnation, that God himself will take upon humanity that he will come and he will be born of the house of David. And so he's given this name David because he's the true David. He is the true human king, the one who will bring in the true kingdom of God. So he is both the son of David and yet at the same time the son of God. And this is this passage in, in Psalm 110 where the hypostasis of the Father speaks to the hypostasis of the Son. And so David writes in Psalm 110, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so again, here David is king, and he says that Yahweh is speaking to David's Lord, the Lord of David. The only one who is over David, who is king to represent Yahweh here on earth amongst the people of Israel, of course, is Yahweh himself. So the language of the Lord of David teaches to us of the divine nature. And yet at the same time, he is the son of David, which teaches to us his human nature. So again, the image of a stump shows forth to us the historical reality of the Babylonian captivity, in which the throne of David was overthrown. But it is from this stump that a shoot, a little rod, a branch comes out, so that you have the teaching that according to the flesh, according to this human nature of David, this is where the Son of God enters into humanity. 
Eusebius of Caesarea, when he's uh, commenting on this passage in Isaiah, uh, he writes and he says this, you, you look at Jesse and he is poor. He's in a position of no authority according to the world. So Jesse is an insignificant person. And so Eusebius of Caesarea kind of brings us before our eyes. He draws our attention that here is where the Christ comes from, from this humble estate, that the one who is rich, the one who is God of God, humbles himself. He empties himself to take upon the form of a servant. The one who is the Savior comes to save us by taking upon our flesh to restore us. So the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, It is in him, that is Christ our Lord, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so in this incarnate one, the one who comes from the stump of Jesse, this one who is a shoot, he is the branch, he comes from the root of Jesse, truly man, yet the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Later on in Colossians chapter 2, Paul continues to write and say, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So the kingdom of God comes to fallen humanity through the birth of a child, through this son of David, so that he comes to us in this very humble estate. But yet the fullness of God dwells in him, and it is from this fullness that we all receive grace upon grace, as the Apostle John says in chapter 1. And so all of this is contrary to the way that the world works. The wisdom of the world is that first you establish a kingdom, and then a king is born. But not so with God. First the child is born, then the kingdom comes. And so you have this kingdom that comes to us by the birth of a child. <laughs> so it's not the human way of kind of creating our own kingdom by our own power and might and strength. Instead, this kingdom comes to us as a gift. And then we are brought into this kingdom when the one who is the heir becomes a slave so that we who are slaves can become heirs. We become co-heirs with him because of the incarnation. The one who is rich becomes poor so that we who are poor become rich in Christ. And so now, according to his human nature, he then is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So in this passage in Isaiah 11, we're taught that he is from Jesse. He's this true David. And in verse 2, it goes on to say this. And the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. And so in this passage, we're taught that according to his human nature, he has emptied himself, and so thus he receives the Holy Spirit. According to his divine nature, on the other hand, 
He always has the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son from all eternity. But it is according to his human nature that he empties himself and then he receives the Holy Spirit. Now, to be clear, we, we need to understand that as God, God of God, true God, begotten, not made, from all eternity, he has the Holy Spirit. So it's not that he does not have the Holy Spirit, but in the incarnation, when he empties himself, he now receives the Holy Spirit so that he can be the giver of the Holy Spirit according to his human nature so that he can pour out the Holy Spirit upon us in the ascension. So you see this at the day of Pentecost, when the disciples are gathered and the apostles proclaim that Christ who died is now raised and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is now pouring out the Holy Spirit according to his human nature. And he does this for the benefit of humanity to restore our corrupted nature. Now, remember, we said that the kingdom that he comes to bring is a spiritual kingdom. And so the early church father, Cyril of Alexandria in the 5th century, when he's talking about this uh, passage here in Isaiah, this son of David, the one who is anointed of the Holy Spirit according to his human nature, he's the one who gives the Holy Spirit. You see, Cyril notes and says this, The only begotten word of God, thus in lowering himself to the point of emptying, and instead had to accept it because of humanity, not for his own sake, but rather for ours, who are in need of every good, though by nature he was filled with them. And Cyril goes on to note, And even so, if in one place he is said to receive the Spirit, despite himself being the source of the Holy Spirit, giving the Spirit not in a measured way, but, as it were, distributing it to the saints from his own fullness. And the evangelist John writes in chapter 3 of his gospel, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. This is John chapter 3, verse 34. So see, according to his human nature, he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He receives the Holy Spirit, and then according to his human nature, he then gives the Holy Spirit without measure. So as David was anointed by Samuel the prophet, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, so too the true David is anointed by the prophet John the baptizer, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And so you have in this passage again, And the Spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. This is the sevenfold gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit himself and the gifts of the Spirit, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might and knowledge and the true fear of Yahweh. These are all the attributes of what an earthly king needs in order to reign in justice and in righteousness. 
Now, again, I can't emphasize this enough, but we must be clear that according to the divine nature, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. But according to the human nature, the Son of God is anointed. He is called the Messiah from the Hebrew Mashiach or Christ from the Greek Christos. But according to his human nature, he is anointed with the Holy Spirit in the Jordan River by the prophet, John the Baptizer. And the voice of the Father proclaims, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him visibly in the form of a dove. Now, after the baptism of Jesus, in which he is anointed with the Holy Spirit by the Father, he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. Because remember, again, he's a Nazar. He's the Nazarene. And what does he do? He reads from Isaiah chapter 61, which states, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so Jesus takes this whole passage and he says, In your hearing, these words of Isaiah have now been fulfilled. The branch from Jesse's root, the Natzer, is here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.